Buying a house can feel like you're going 200 miles per hour in bumper-to-bumper traffic with a dirty windshield and the sun in your eyes. Ruoff Mortgage has the technology, expert staff, and resources to simplify the process while speeding up the time it takes to get clear to close. So while getting a loan can seem intimidating, Ruoff Mortgage will have you opening the door to your new home fast and stress-free. Visit Ruoff.com to learn more. That's Ruoff.com. NASCAR season is here, and everyone on the Toyota racing team is doing their part to perform at the highest level. From driver Ty Gibbs to amateur musician Russell Viper, who's working on the perfect pre-race pump-up track for the team. Start those cameras up! Yeah! To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. Let's get a big thumbs up. Get ready to rock and roll today. Let's have some fun. 400 laps. I got you guys there. Have a great day. 10-4. Tonight. We'll make it happen. We know what we got to do. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. Well, let's hear from Alex Bowman now as he has just climbed from the car. Congratulations. You're the Daytona 500 pole sitter. Uh, obviously just climbing out, but has it sunk in? Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm the Daytona 500 pole sitter. I'd say the, the Hendrick 88 team is. Oh. Brad Keselowski leads the survivors coming off turn number four, comes to the line, sees the checkered flag, and Brad will win the 40th edition of the Advanced Auto Parts Clash at Daytona. Oh, we got it, one, Paul. Hell yeah. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Her- Hercules Tires, right on our strength. From the Outback Steakhouse in Daytona Beach, Florida, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. We are live at the Outback Steakhouse just outside of Turn 4 at Daytona International Speedway. If you're not in Daytona yet, you might want to get on down here. The weather is fantastic, and for the Great American Race on Sunday, 78 and sunny skies. We've got a great show for you today. You'll hear from some MRN folk in Joe Moore and Jeff Striegel, also Rusty Wallace, Alex Hayden, and Steve Post. But we kick off the proceedings with the vice chairman of NASCAR, Mike Helton, joins us. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. We've got a weekend of Speed Weeks in the books. What are your thoughts so far about what we saw over the weekend here? Well, it's always fun to get started again. And you've got a kind of a clean sheet of paper when you come to Daytona in February. And I think uh, the new paint jobs new drivers, drivers who are returning in the same positions. And it, it's just always fun to watch Speed Weeks unfold. And you get them on the racetrack and you get the cars going around, and that's that's an exciting time for us. But And the, the newness of things, it, it comes in rules and, and uh, different procedures from our side. But uh, I think it's just good for everybody to get back on the racetrack and get going. And, and the first weekend was typical, exciting, entertaining NASCAR-type racing. In walking around the garage uh, Friday and Saturday, there were a lot of crew chiefs that were scratching their heads. You had some pacing back and forth. While there haven't been a lot of changes, there have been enough to impact them to the point to where they didn't know what to expect. Sometimes when they're uncomfortable, that makes it very entertaining for us to watch. Would you agree with that? I do, because the unknown is, is the best part of sports in general. And, and how the athletes and the, the team members will react to it. That's what's the beauty of Daytona in February is because it's the first of the season, so everything is new to everybody. One of the new things that we have this year is the, um, is the optical scanning station. It replaces the laser inspection station of a year ago. Things, to se- things seem to have gone pretty well in there over the weekend, and you got some crew chiefs that are giving it some, uh, some high marks. Yeah. And, and, and so we rolled it out in a beta program last year, several races toward the end of the season. Steve O'Donnell's group up in Concord, North Carolina, led by John Probst on this particular project, it, it did a really good job of integrating feedback from crew members and teams as it was developed and then as it became something that was going to be instituted in the garage area. So there was it was as expected with all of the collaboration of the teams and NASCAR together, I think what we saw over the weekend in the inspection process was was a a big reward for us all. When we talk about new technology and and new ways of doing things, because a lot of what we do now is based on technology, is it timed out? When is the right time to roll out the newer technology? A guy my age, it took 20 years maybe to see something 
shucks golly gee in technology. And, and so you had a little bit of a runway to get caught up with it and apply it to your life. Today's world, it's, it's, it's much quicker. And that, so to answer your question, I think it's on NASCAR to incorporate technology into the sport whenever it's correctly capable of being done. And so whether it's the pit road speed or pit road officiating with the cameras and the software, now the inspection process in the garage area, that's on us to incorporate the right technology at the right time. And I, I think it's just a never-ending process from here on. Adding a layer to that, you mean when we talk about officiating and all that, we saw something happen on Sunday in the clash where Ricky Stenhouse Jr. received a penalty for going below the yellow line. That's a rule that's been on the books for a while, and that's a rule that we've seen enforced a lot over the years. What's it like up in that tower trying to make that judgment call? That basically is a ball-and-strike call where you're going to upset some people, but you're not going to upset another group of people. First of all, it's tough for us to penalize anybody. We're not here to penalize participants in the sport, but it's on us to keep the playing field with some kind of a parameters around it that everybody that's participating understands that there is a governing body. So on the call Sunday, when we've had cars go below the yellow line and we didn't make calls on them, that I think was an example of a very clear moment where the driver advanced themselves underneath that yellow line and they didn't, they could have not done that. But it's tough. It's, we don't like to penalize people. We don't like to catch them doing anything. The sport should play out as a sport, not with us engaged in it. And, you know, that in itself is a judgment call. You know, I, I joke that there's a there, one time there's a rule sheet and there's a rule book for a reason. You got a lot of uh, you, you got a lot of smart people in there that have a tendency to work in the gray area a lot. And I know you don't want to get involved, but sometimes you're forced to get involved. And sometimes that involves either points penalties, mo monetary fines and the like. When something like that happens, what's that process like? You have in race calls, but you also have things back either in Daytona or Charlotte that you really have to go, go over. Some folks think that NASCAR likes to make rules, but you really don't want to. What forces you to do that? Is it trends you see? Is it, is it a direction that perhaps maybe a crew chief is going or a driver's going? When does NASCAR get involved with making some of the rules that we see today? It, we, we really start filling in the gray areas you talked about. And I think over time, and you look at the, the history of the uh, NASCAR's rulemaking process and the enforcement around it, it's when we learn something in the garage area that that the competitors have figured out from our rule. And so we, we have to tweak the rule to, to close those gaps for everybody. And that's on us to do correctly. And it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a challenge because every time we know that every time we lay down a, a set of rules, that the first thing the teams are going to do is say, okay, here's the rule. Now, how do we react to that? And I think over the history of time, you know, we've, been, we've been doing this for 70 years, and the first rule book, if you, you picked up a copy of the 1948 rule book, there's not much there. Nope. It's pretty simple. <laughs> uh, so, so what we've got today now on the Internet uh, and, and, and fed digitally every day almost to everybody it uh, it's a it's a com compilation of all of those races and that history and experience that NASCAR and the and the teams in the sport have have played the game of give and take, and so every time we write a rule, they figure out an area of the rule that that they can get into, then we close up that gap, and then they go to closing up their gap, and we go close our gap, and so that's the rule process, but. We try to do it in a way with today's world. We do it collaboratively with the teams, the team owners and the, and the manufacturers and the drivers themselves so that, that they understand why we're making these rules and they know about the rules and how the, the philosophy behind them has unfolded. Where in the past, we just, they show up at Daytona on, on, on Thursday of the first weekend and we say, all right, here's the rule. And then they all, you know, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Today, we're, we, we, can't, we can't do that. So now we, we work together to come up with the rules and the packages and the different steps. And they actually help us close the gray areas before there is one. Coming up more with Mike Helton and later NASCAR Hall of Famer Rusty Wallace will join us.
The thought of winter coming can be chilling. Knee-deep snow, face-numbing winds, frozen fingers, temperatures below zero. And yet, without a Duralast car battery, it could be even worse. That's why Duralast batteries are tested to perform in harsh conditions. So even if it's 40 below zero, your car can start up like it's 72 and sunny. Visit any of our 5,000 locations nationwide and let's get you what you need. Get in the zone, auto zone. The Starlight Lounge presents an evening with the progressive box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. More with Mike Helton coming up next. This is NASCAR Live on the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. From Daytona Beach, Florida, this is NASCAR Live. Now, back to your host, Mike Bagley. Welcome back to the Outback Steakhouse outside of Turn 4 at Daytona International Speedway. We continue with NASCAR Vice Chairman Mike Helton. We've seen a lot of drivers, Mike, step away. Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart. So a list of veteran drivers that have stepped out of the race cars, and we've got this crop of young driver that is stepping in. What are your thoughts about the young driver that we're starting to see work their way up into the Cup Series these days? I, I think it's great. And I th we're in a cycle, and you're getting ready to talk to one of those veterans that went through that cycle before. There was an era uh, where it was Richard Petty and Kelly Yarbrough and David Pearson, Bobby Allison, and then there came along a group of rookies like Rusty Wallace and Dale Sr., Terry Labonte, Dale Jarrett, they did their career. They, they played out their, our sport and helped us build the sport of NASCAR. And then they step out and another flock steps in. And now we're seeing that generation be called veterans and, and former drivers. And uh, those, so we've been through these cycles before. And I think those moments are really good for us. The tough part is, is somebody that pulled for Tony Stewart or Carl Edwards or Matt Kenseth or Dale Earnhardt Jr. or Jeff Gordon now have to find someone else to pull for. But th those moments are good opportunities for us because now we're seeing guys like Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, and, and uh, who carries his father's name into a next generation. You know, William Byron, Alec Bowman on the pole, uh, Eric Jones. These new faces that are in the sport today help us build the sport because it's now their time to sit in those seats. And I think it's I think it's interesting and fun to watch. You know, what's also interesting is that we're seeing these drivers engage with the fan. That's one thing that we hear a lot is uh, fans want to see their driver. They want to shake hands. They want to sign autographs. They want to take selfies or pictures or whatever. And I think it's important that, that these young drivers engage, which is something that we're doing, but they're engaging in different ways. Ty Dillon, um, during the media tour, made it very known that he wants to connect through social media. Is that, is that the new way of the world these days, connecting on that front? You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> How was about, that Twitter working out about, for about 40 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, to answer your question, yes. I think it's, it's NASCAR evolving to be relative. And when its athletes communicate with our fans the way our fans consume the sport, that's good for us. And so when you have a new generation of drivers, they're going to, cons they're going to talk to their fans and to NASCAR fans the way those fans consume the sport today. And that's a good thing for us. Appreciate you stopping by. Thanks. Always enjoy it. Thank you. Vice Chairman Mike Helton joining us. Coming up next, NASCAR Hall of Famer Rusty Wallace. This is what it sounds like when real people find out Chevy's the only brand to earn J.D. Power Dependability Awards for cars, trucks, and SUVs two years in a row. I am so impressed. I think that's great, especially two years in a row. Chevy's stepping up, that's for sure. Get behind the wheel and see for yourself why Chevrolet keeps bringing home awards for dependability. Chevrolet, find new roads. Awards based on 2013 and 2014 model year vehicles. 2017, most dependable small car, large SUV, large heavy-duty pickup, and midsize sporty car. 2016, most dependable midsize car, compact SUV, large heavy-duty pickup, and midsize sporty car. For J.D. Power award information, visit JDPower.com. The Country 500 Music Festival is back at Daytona International Speedway How do you like me with Toby Keith, Chris Stapleton, Dirk Bentley, on the beach. 
Beach. Sugarland. Billy Currington. And so much more. Country 500. Memorial Day weekend, May 25th, 26th, and 27th. For tickets and information, visit country500.com. Sponsored in part by Budweiser. Don't forget, tomorrow night we have a special edition of NASCAR Live hosted by Kid Cruz. We'll hear some of the best from Daytona 500 Media Day. That again tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Rusty Wallace joins us next. This is NASCAR Live on the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. From Daytona Beach, Florida, this is NASCAR Live. Now, back to your host, Mike Bagley. And we do welcome you back to NASCAR Live. We continue here at the Outback Steakhouse, right on International Speedway Boulevard, joined now by NASCAR Hall of Famer, Rusty Wallace. What's up, man? Oh, all's good. Thank you very much. I had a nice off day today, went golfing all day, and then I'm, I was late because I was at the uh, flower joint getting some Valentine's gift for tomorrow. That's so, right. Uh, trying to be proper, you know. <laughs> at the flower joint. <laughs> so what'd you shoot today on the links? About a 90. About a 90, and uh, we had fun. It was a great day, and the weather, it was, it was kind of cool this morning. Then it started raining a little bit, then it got better again. But, no, th that's the neat thing you can do with the new schedule down here because we're not mm -hmm. on track on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, so we get to do something, you know. And so all our MRN crew, they've been, I'm sure all the guys have been doing different things. Some have been on the water, some have been hanging out, and some have been uh, having a couple uh, drinks, and who knows. <laughs> um, coolest place you've ever played golf, what is it? Oh, coolest place I've ever played golf? Well, had opportunity one time, a uh, long time ago with one of our sponsors, Alltel Telephones, when Ryan Newman was my teammate. Mm -hmm. I got to, and his, his, uh, the, the owner of Alltel was one of the main guys at Augusta. So he took us to Augusta to play golf, and we had a great time. I spent four days there at some joint called the Kensington Cabin, and we stayed there. We had dinners every night. It was a big deal. So I was really turned on about that and blown away, but that's the coolest place I've been. Wow, that's awesome. Um, saw some awesome racing over the weekend. Qualified for the Daytona 500, and we ran the Advanced Auto Parts Clash. What did you uh, think about what you saw on Sunday? I, I saw two races. I saw them um, getting pretty exciting at the first part of the uh, clash, and then the second part of the clash, what I predicted didn't come true at all. I thought with like 15 laps to go, they would all take off and go crazy and really kind of mine their P's and Q's, and they didn't do that. And I think the reason they didn't do that is because they tried to make a lot of moves early in the race and found out it didn't work. And then basically all of them pretty well got freaked out and said, if I get out of line, I'm going to go to the back, and I'm not going to do that, so I'm just going to stay here. And when it was all said and done, that's how it ended up. Although, I was talking, actually, Mike Helton, Mike and I were talking a lot last night at the, the uh, poker tournament, the Betty Jane France Poker Tournament, which, by the way, turned out fantastic. We raised $293,000 for, wow. for charity last night. That's awesome. I mean, it was really, really big, huge deal last night. So, But I talked to Mike, and I said, look, you know, it, it, we, we come to these, this track, and everybody gets freaked out in the, in the clash in the 150s. And in the clash, you only got 17 cars out there running around. You're not, you're not running around this big two-and-a-half-mile racetrack stirring up all the air, okay? So then, you, then you get into 150s, you got a couple more cars. It gets stirred up a little bit more, but nothing gets stirred up like it does in a Daytona 500 when you go from 17 or 20 cars to 40. When you put 40 of them out there and you slop the track all up, and now you've run the truck race, you've run the Xfinity race, the track's all black, it's slick. Now everything's totally different. So we go through these conversations every year talking about how the race went in the clash in the 150s, but you can talk to any driver out there, and I think from past experience, and even all our, our, our guys from Motor Racing Network, which in my opinion are experts at everything they do, they, they've seen this many, many times, and they know that the, the clash looks different than the 150s, and the 150s look different than the 500. And the 500 is going to look totally different, in my opinion, than what it looked like in the clash. I've talked to a lot of drivers that said they – they were having a hard time getting comfortable out on the racetrack. The car's steering different. I'm not comfortable. What does it mean when we hear, I'm not comfortable in the car at Daytona? Well, you don't want to hear that word at all because you've got to be comfortable at Daytona. And, and a long time ago when we would run uh, under some of these rules like now, there is no rear rules for springs or shocks, okay? Mm -hmm. So they can do whatever they want. And back then, we used to put the softest springs we possibly could so the car would lay right on the ground. 
Well, what's different from back then to now is that we used to have to go through the templates with the car kind of jacked up in the air, what we call static ride height. Where they, they gave us a number, how high the car had to be. Now, uh, the rule is different. So the car is much lower to the ground. And so what I found out by accident after I got checking around, I was wrong what I was anticipating. I was right about what I was thinking. The cars are going to be low to the ground. They're going to be unstable to drive. But what happens now is they're setting the cars up where the back of the car is super low to the ground, and they don't want it to travel any farther. So the only way to stop it from traveling any farther is to put a lot of spring rubbers in the rear springs or put super stiff rear springs in. So what I found out is a lot of them are putting really stiff rear springs and not letting the car travel. So what's that do? That gives you a real uneasy, unstable car. What it does do is make the car go super fast in a straight line, makes it qualify fast. But once it comes to handling, it's not so cool then. So uh, after I figured out what they're doing and changed my mind about what I thought they would do, I think what they're going to have to do is back up a little bit. I think they're going to have to give up a little bit of that speed to get the car where it's more comfortable to drive. Coming up, more with NASCAR Hall of Famer, Rusty Wallace. I'm not blooming good, I'm blooming great. Put a shrimp on the barbie and sizzle my steak. Woo, I want that onion to bloom. And it get in my feathers like a sonic boom. No rules, just right. So cold, so nice. And I'm so, 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 so ready for that Outback Steak tonight. Outback Steak House. That's what it's all about. Outback Steak the 1993 Cup Series season had more than its fair share of twists and turns. Checkered flags waving. I look in my mirror, and here's Earnhardt right on my tail, and he goes down low to pass me. And I said, oh, no, you don't. As Wallace spins, Wallace's car goes on its nose. Here's stories that you've never heard before in a 10-part series called The 1993 Season, 25 Years Later. And Davey was behind me, and we came off the corner, and there's a guy standing in the middle of the racetrack. You can download it for free on iTunes and at MRN.com right now. On Thursday, the field will be set for the Daytona 500 with the Can-Am Duel at Daytona. Motor Racing Network has coverage starting at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. More with Rusty Wallace next. This is NASCAR Live on the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. From Daytona Beach, Florida, this is NASCAR Live. Now, back to your host, Mike Bagley. Welcome back to the Outback Steakhouse. Outside of turn four at Daytona International Speedway. Mike Bagley, the MRN crew here. So is NASCAR Hall of Famer and MRN uh, commentator, analyst, and uh, chief potster, Rusty Wallace. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know what you're saying. We're, we're, we're talking a moment ago about how, how to get comfortable at Daytona, these, these drivers being uncomfortable. What was it like the first time you were down here in a race car, in the race, trying to qualify for the 500? What year was it? Who were you driving for? What was that experience like for you? Oh, that would have been for me. That had been... Uh all the way back in like 1980, when I was trying to qualify to for the 500, I was driving the Ramada N car, the number 72 car that we built back in our shops in St. Louis. And I came down here, made it through practice. I got in 125 mile qualifiers back then, got loose, got in a wreck and flipped like 10 times down the back straightaway and didn't make the race. And it was all said and done. And that was, I was terrified the whole week, just trying to make the race and thinking that what am I doing here I'm a short track guy out of Missouri and I'm trying to race with Cale Yarbrough and, and Bobby Allison and Richard Petty and guys like this but I was given a whirl and it didn't end up good for me I ended up uh, wreckers and in the hospital and on the way back to St. Louis Missouri broke as you could possibly get not a nickel in my pocket not my hot rod all tore to pieces and so and missing a Daytona 500. Not a very pleasant experience. Right? No, no, it wasn't good at all. And that's when I learned back then. I said, man, I wish I could get my car to drive comfortable so it wouldn't <laughs> spin out and wreck and stuff. But I went through a mess back then. It was a tough deal. That question leads me to this one. We were talking with Mike Helton a moment ago about the young drivers coming into this sport. You are obviously a veteran. You're a NASCAR Hall of Famer. But you were that guy at one time where you eased into the scene and you were racing against the big guys. What are, what are some of these young drivers experiencing right now when – when they're racing against a Jimmy Johnson or someone like that out there on the racetrack? Well, I mean, I, I, from what I hear, from what they're saying, it sounds like they're all really happy to get the opportunity that they've got right now. And they're really excited, and they're real nice 
and, and I, I love that because I love that they got the respect for the sport because to me, this sport has been everything in the world for me. It's, it's made my living. It's, it's something I look forward to every single year to come to all these races and especially the Daytona 500. But for them, not just to take their good fortune at, at Granite, it, but, but like a guy like William Byron or a guy like Ryan Blady saying, you know, I am so blessed. I am so excited. I can't believe I'm here and I'm in this big race. And I'm driving these big cars, a guy like Alex Bowman, you know, driving the old Dale Jr. car. And a guy like, you know, the, uh, uh, William Byron driving the 24 car. I mean, those guys got to be pinching herself. I mean, it wasn't that long ago they're in a truck and they're missing races and trying to figure things out. Now they've got two of the biggest rides out there in NASCAR. And they got to be going, man, thank God, thank God, thank God. At least that's what I would be doing. And I don't sense them not doing that. So, I mean, it's all good right now. One of the things we saw Sunday in the class, Chase Elliott spent some time at the front leading. Eric Jones was up there. But in the course of that race, we saw those guys get shuffled back. And once they got in the back, they couldn't get back to the front. Do you know why? Why would that happen? Is that is that the handling of the car giving up over a fuel run? What is that? Oh, man, I could talk forever about technicalities with you. Now, I'll just say it real quick. What happens is when you take a car and make it really slick where it just goes through the air real good, that means when the air comes off the back of the car, it doesn't stir up a big bunch of air. And, and if you don't stir up a big bunch of air, it makes it really, really hard to draft. And so what I found out real quick while I was watching what was going on, in particularly Kevin Harvick, one of the best guys out there at drafting, he lost the draft, right? They just drove away from him. And right away I figured they got these cars so slick, the backs are on the ground, the way the air comes off the rear spoiler, it's real smooth. And when that happens, the cars don't draft as well as they should. I found out back in the day when they used to jack the back of the car up and lower the front end down, they put this big wake of air, this big hole like you're following a tractor and trailer down the highway, and your car would just take off and draft good. But when you start taking that away, Mike, they don't draft as good, and you start losing the draft, and that's what happens. So uh, that's the reason I said I think they're gonna, you're going to see them raise the back of the cars up a little bit maybe or change the springs or something to make them draft better and handle better. I think it's going to happen. Sunday will be the 60th running of the Daytona 500. You've run in your share of them. What's it like being a driver waking up in Daytona Beach, getting ready to know that you're getting ready to run the biggest stock car race in the world? If you finish the last practice and your car drafted really well and it handled really good, you tend, up, you tend to wake up on race morning with your chest kind of poked out, feeling like maybe I'm the man, I'm the guy you got to beat, and I got a lot of confidence. And maybe they don't know how good I am, but I know how good I am, and I got a lot of confidence. Very seldom did I wake up feeling like that, though. I woke up feeling like that a ton on road courses and short tracks and intermediates. But I would wake up at Daytona almost every morning going, oh, my God, I hope we made the right decision last night. I hope we, this right rear spring we change is going to fix this problem. I hope that this sway bar is going to fix this problem. I would wake up every morning during the Daytona 500 going, God, I hope this is going to be the magic adjustment that we made that really turned me into something. So if they don't have that feel that they're so comfortable with the way their car's handling, they're not going to sleep the night before. And they're going to be agonizing. And when they drop that green flag and they get 10 or 15 laps under the belt, that's when their brain can finally start thinking about what do I need to change and what do I need to do to make sure I got a good car. Did you have any morning rituals? Did you have certain things that you did at certain times? And did you have a routine, not only for the 500, but just week in and week out? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, I would always, you know, my, my, my routine was, you know, after I was into my career a little bit, I mean, I would – uh, I'd say a normal race, I would wake up and I would go, okay, if that, that, if that uniform I'm wearing was a real lucky uniform the, year, the week before, or maybe I won Bristol or Martinsville, I'm going to wear that uniform until the luck runs out, okay? But then mentally, I would just wake up every morning and I would have a really super light breakfast, and then I'd go to the driver's meeting, do all that type of stuff, and then I would have a little uh, ham and cheese sandwich, something light, you know, and a glass of water, and then I would, I, would, I would do it. I mean, I did the same thing about all the time. You know, just I watched what I ate before I got in a car. And then I had this really f a weird thing that drove me completely bananas still to the day that I got out of the car. And that's if, if somebody showed me a penny, and if that thing was a tails-up penny, it would totally freak me out. I'm like, oh, man, that is the death right there. That is absolutely bad luck. Where did that come from? I don't know, man, but I'm telling you what, 
You can't believe how many motors I blew up seeing a tail up, tails up penny. <laughs> if I saw a tails up penny, I knew I was in trouble. And I would take those things and kick them. I would reach down in my pocket and I would feel the coins in my pocket. And if I knew there was a penny in there, I would close my eyes and throw it away so I didn't see it. Or else I would accidentally, if I saw it and I couldn't get my mind off it, I would turn it over and make it a heads up. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't me just doing crazy stuff like that. Dale Earnhardt was so freaked out about $50 bills, he couldn't see straight. If he saw a $50 bill, that guy would run like he had a rat on his butt, you know. And, <laughs> and there, was, there was times that when I was running him for the championship, I would take a $50 bill and I would sneak over to his car and I would tape it to the roof. No. Yeah. And he got in his car, and I'm telling you what, he jumped out of that car like a rocket. I mean, he was screaming and freaking out and flopping his arms and stuff, and, and I'm laughing my brains out because <laughs> I taped that 50 to his roof, and he hated $50 bills. And to this day, if somebody gives me a $50 bill, I will pull over as soon as I can find a place and cash it for two 20s and a 10. I have a $50 bill, in my opinion, is the worst bad luck thing in the planet. And a tails up pennies to other things. Well, so that's because that, you just it. deal with hundreds. I mean, that's all you deal with. Hundreds are fine. <laughs> you know, hundreds are fine. But I'm telling you what, if anybody's got a $50 bill in their pocket right now, you better be thinking about getting that thing out of there. <laughs> Appreciate the time, my friend. Well, Always a pleasure. All right, buddy. Thank you. That's NASCAR Hall of Famer Rusty Wallace. Coming up next, we'll look back at Sunday's Advanced Auto Parts Clash with a NASCAR Live Backtracks. Things happen fast in racing. And if you don't know where to look, you can miss it all. With Legend from Racing Electronics, you'll never miss another moment. Legend gives you live fan vision video, in-car cameras, and stats at NASCAR and other Premier Series events. And the next-generation race scanner for unfiltered driver and crew audio at any motorsports event nationwide. NASCAR fans have never been closer to the action. Welcome to the future of the fan experience. Learn more by visiting RacingElectronics.com. Join MRN as we travel through the life of NASCAR's most popular driver, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Dale Earnhardt Jr. comes back to the Daytona International Speedway, leading the pack. I won races that I never thought I'd win. From growing up under the Earnhardt name to super speedway wins to Whiskey River, we dive into everything Dale Jr. He's brain man for NASCAR history. You know, we weren't the typical family that got to sit down to dinner together. Tune in to Junior's Journey, available on iTunes for download only on the Motor Racing Network. We've got a NASCAR Live Backtracks coming up next. This is NASCAR Live on the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. From Daytona Beach, Florida, this is NASCAR Live. Now, back to your host, Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Live here at Outback Steakhouse in Daytona Beach. This past Sunday here at Daytona International Speedway, the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series ran the 40th Advanced Auto Parts Clash. Here's what it sounded like with this week's NASCAR Live Backtracks. Pace car hits pit road, and now for the start, here is the Motor Racing Network's Joe Moore. Here's the field approaching the start-finish line. Green flag is out. We're underway. A couple of cars get together as they climb the banking in turn number one. Looks like they straighten it out, though, Dave. Everybody gets away. Kyle Larson got a piece of the action. Out of line down bottom inside bumper. 41's going with him. Everything all right? I just got really loose when I pulled out of line. 10-4. Trouble, turn number three, one car breaks sideways. Jake McMurray overcorrects and goes head on into the outside wall. I think I hit pretty good. Fine now, up to you guys. Put your stop right here, five, four, three. We'll at least get some tires on it, see if we can get the right front up. Throw a hammer to him, or at least set it in that direction. Kyle Busch is there. Here's Stenhouse rooting his way on the bottom of the racetrack. Puts Kyle Busch in the middle in three. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., you heard Mike Bagley just a few laps ago talking about Ricky going below the yellow line, trying to advance his position. NASCAR said, no, that ain't going to work. And uh, that is a penalty. And so he had a drive through. Still on side, going to have to do a pass through next time by. Going to have to below the yellow line right here. Yeah, you ran me down there. I know. Topic. We've challenged it here, so keep going we tell you. Well, right now it's nose to tail throughout the field. Everybody kind of settled down for the time being in a single file formation with 27 laps to go. 11th is true, actually. Kyle wants to know if he goes to the bottom. You, you commit to go with him. Stand up, let's go! This is delivered. They may be testing the waters a bit for a Team Toyota foray into that low groove with a lap or two or three to go. They're definitely getting a few more takers just seeing if that low line turn off the corner will work. Need somebody like second or third to pull out to suck you up, otherwise it ain't gonna work. 
Keselowski leads the survivors coming off turn number four, comes to the line, sees the checkered flag, and Brad will win the 40th edition of the Advance Auto Parts Clash at Daytona. Well, they got us one, Paul. Hell yeah. Good job out there, Brad. Good job, spotter. Guys, great job with the car, man. New package. You guys did awesome. Thank you. Yes, sir. Have a party tonight. That's this week's NASCAR Live Backtracks. For the last couple of weeks, MRM veteran announcer Jack Aroot's been counting you down and counting down the top finishes of the Great American Race. This week, he reveals number one with this week's page from the past. Mike, we've been counting down the top Daytona 500s, and this week, we crown the number one race. It's the 21st running of the Daytona 500 held on February 18, 1979. Now, in the early going, Bobby Allison, Cale Yarbrough, and Donnie Allison collided with each other and quick repairs put them back in the race albeit laps down and it set America up for one of the more insane finishes in NASCAR history. Now you've got to remember that the 79 race was the first NASCAR 500 miler ever televised live from green to checkered. A massive snowstorm covered the East Coast and millions upon millions of viewers tuned in to see the great American race. But it was the finish and what happened after the checkered flag that made this 500 one to remember. Cale Yarbrough and Donnie Allison, as I said, were lapsed down due to their early crash, but they made good use of timely cautions to not only return to the lead lap, but run in the top two spots with less than 20 laps left in the books. Two of the toughest drivers in the business lead this Daytona 500. Donnie Allison out front. Cale Yarbrough finds himself running third on the racetrack, but second overall and sandwiched in between. And who could play possibly the key spoiler role is the national engineering car for Bobby Allison. These two pulled away from the rest of the field and drafted back and forth for the lead. When the white flag was displayed, Donnie was in first with Yarborough glued to his rear bumper. Donnie Allison, Cale Yarborough, one car length separate them. What a waiting game. Cale Yarborough has been playing here, sitting right on Bobby Allison's bumper these last 20 laps. Then down the back straightaway, Cale Yarborough dipped to the inside of the track and looked like he draft his way past Allison. Donnie, however, countered, trying to block, and the two cars body slammed each other and spun to rest at the entrance of turn three. Kale makes the move, he's down very close to the grass. Donnie tries to shut him off, Kale's in the grass. Kale loses it, he tries to pull it back. Donnie side by side, they make contact, both head toward the wall, they hit the wall in turn number three. Richard Petty, meanwhile, almost a full half lap behind, swept past them and took the victory. Here they come to the stripe, Richard Petty's STP Oldsmobile, Waltrip dives to the inside, Petty almost put him off in the grass, and Richard Petty will win the Daytona 500. But the fireworks were not over, in fact, they had just begun. Donnie's brother Bobby stopped at the accident scene, and the three proceeded to start shoving and trading punches with each other. And now it appears we may have a fist fight. We see drivers and helmets, safety officials trying to jump in there and separate them as tempers have really flared after this amazing incident on the final lap coming into turn number three. They, come, they battle on the ground at this time and we can't see as others come running in to surround and try to separate those drivers. Millions of TV sets witnessed the fracas and it thrust the Daytona 500 to the top of the sports scene for more than a week. It is, by the way, considered one of the watershed moments in NASCAR history, and that is why I have chosen it as number one. For Pages from the Past, I'm Jack Aroot. That's right, Jackie. It is hard to top the 1979 Daytona 500. What a day here in Central Florida. Coming up on NASCAR Live, our lead anchors for MRN, Joe Moore and Jeff Striegel will join us. This is what it sounds like when real people find out Chevy's the only brand to earn J.D. Power Dependability Awards for cars, trucks, and SUVs two years in a row. I am so impressed. I think that's great, especially two years in a row. Chevy's stepping up, that's for sure. Get behind the wheel and see for yourself why Chevrolet keeps bringing home awards for dependability. Chevrolet, find new roads. Awards based on 2013 and 2014 model year vehicles. 2017, most dependable small car, large SUV, large heavy-duty pickup, and midsize sporty car. 2016, most dependable midsize car, compact SUV, large heavy-duty pickup, and midsize sporty car. For J.D. Power award information, visit JDPower.com. Ladies and gentlemen, a new NASCAR Fantasy Live is back for a new season and new victories. Start your engine! Newly engineered with a new format, new ways to win, new ways to compete, and new ways to earn yourself the title 
of NASCAR Fantasy Champion. Visit nascar.com slash fantasy today to sign up, pick your drivers, and compete for the win. So who you riding with? NASCAR Fantasy Live. Joe Moore and Jeff Striegel will join us next. This is NASCAR Live on the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. From Daytona Beach, Florida, this is NASCAR Live. Now, back to your host, Mike Bagley. We continue live at the Outback Steakhouse here just outside of Turn 4 at Daytona International Speedway. These folks are fine, fine hosts. If you have a chance to swing on over and uh, check out some of their fare, you absolutely want to do that. They, uh, they treat us good, and they know how to treat you when you walk in the door. Let's bring in two gentlemen that you hear Sunday calling the Daytona 500, the lead anchors of Motor Racing Network. Joe Moore and Jeff Striegel are in the house with us. Hello, hello. What's going on, boys? Having a time of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> Not really Daytona-like weather here today, I think we can all agree. But, uh, you know, it's been kind of nice to have some time to kind of relax and prepare for the big day. Big day is coming up on Sunday. Of course, a lot of broadcasting coming up. we got Can-Am Dual Day on Thursday. We'll set the uh, starting lineup for the Daytona 500. Trucks on Friday. The Xfinity Series on Saturday. Of course, all of this is in the wake of qualifying for the front row for the 500 and the clash that we saw on Sunday. From where you two gentlemen sat on Sunday, what are your thoughts of what you saw on the racetrack over that 75 laps? Boy, I, I think Rusty kind of summed it up. I thought that what we saw was uh, not what we expected. I think we saw or, or thought we were going to see uh, two wide, three wide action throughout the race. It didn't happen that way. I was surprised to see a car or two, Kevin Harvick comes to mind, Mike, uh, continually trying to pull out a line, trying to get others to go with him in order to get to the front. Seldom did anybody do it. And when he did try it, all he was doing was losing ground. But I don't think, Joe, that that is going to be what we see on Thursday in the duel. And I certainly don't think that that's the type of racing we're going to see on Sunday in the 500. No, I think we all waited for that moment when somebody would drop out of line, the draft would form like we've seen in past years, and suddenly they go charging by and take the lead. It just never happened. We kept waiting for it. The drama was spectacular, uh, and we saw a number of different guys, you know, try to, to start something. It just never started. And then when somebody did try in earnest, we had a big crash on the very last lap. So it leaves a lot of question marks in our minds going into the rest of the events of Speed Weeks. Like, okay, what is the difficulty of driving these cars now with the changes that we see from last year? Is it more difficult? Can they even draft like they used to? Did any one driver catch your attention? Did you keep an eye on, on a driver for the good or the not so good running up front? You had mentioned Jeff Kevin Harvick losing the draft, which I was surprised to see. But we saw Chase Elliott up front. We saw a couple of the drivers take their turns up front. And interesting that we're having a conversation about Toyota being good and the new Camaro. But at the end of the day, it was four Fords in the top five. Well, I guess I'll look at two drivers, and I've talked a lot about them so far already in Speed Weeks. And I usually talk about these two anytime we go to a play track, and that would be Brad Kozlowski. And he did exactly what I thought he would do, run up front all day long. Uh, the other driver that I would put into that same e equation is Denny Hamlin, who is normally spectacular on the plate track. He did have the starting spot. If you think about it, Brad started dead last, worked his way all the way to the front. Denny started on the front row, worked his way to the back. I was surprised to see Denny. When, when Denny gets out front, you can't get by him. I mean, and we talk with you a lot about that, Mike, working the back straightaway, watching that leader continually trying to block everybody. Denny is a master. It didn't pay out during the clash it did for Brad I was kind of worried uh, about uh, Chase Elliott you brought this up earlier the fact that he fell back in the pack and I figured well surely he'll be back there's plenty of time he never came back never could get back up there you know Kyle Busch had his try up there Kyle Larson was up there nobody could make that return trip but when Brad took over the lead what with like 43 laps to go yeah. I mean nobody had a chance you know he was blocking both lanes nobody dared take a shot at him and it says a lot about getting out in that clean air with these, this car package, you know, and having the top spot. You're king when you're up there. You know, what's amazing is that it used to be in years gone by, the slingshot would kick in. Cale Yarbrough, I remember in the mid-'80s, I mean, he was a master at that. If he was in second when he took the white flag, you knew what was coming on the backstretch. It's almost like that blocking now is the new slingshot. That's the new move. I tell you, I have an eyeful back there when you got a guy that will start on the bottom of the racetrack, he'll go to the top, back to the bottom, and just zigzag all the way down the backstretch. Now, we've seen some get bitten by that, but is that like the new slingshot, that whole blocking maneuver? Because 
It seems to run rampant at times. I don't think we like to talk about that, but I believe you're right. I think that's sort of the deal. You know, when you get up there, you need to protect what you have. And uh, I don't think you can put it into the same category as the slingshot. There's a little more of a positive connotation to that than there is the blocking maneuver. But, yeah, it, it seems like that's the way it's done now. If you get up there, you're there. You know, it, I, I guess I just add this is that there are some people who can do it and do it very well. Uh, I wouldn't want to be – I'd rather be second, I think, rather than sitting up there all afternoon long because we do see it. It doesn't matter who's at the front of the field. They're going to block. We could be two laps into the Daytona 500. We could be five, ten miles into it. We still have 490 miles to go. They're going to block. And to me, that has to be uh, – it might look easy, but it has to be the most stressful place to be on the racetrack because they're constantly watching their mirror. They're listening to their spotter. They're up and down the racetrack. And like you said, you make one mistake, you hook somebody's front, your, your Daytona 500 is over, and you're going to lose it from the lead spot. Dave Moody had a great line the other day. Do you remember when he said <laughs> yeah. Brad Keselowski is like a six-year-old on an elevator? <laughs> <laughs> Going to the top, coming to the bottom, doing everything he needed to do. But that was a, a great uh, description of what was going on, blocking all the lanes, and it worked. And I, ironically, I encountered that when I got back to the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate the time, boys. Thank Have fun. Thank Joe you. Moore, Jeff Striegel joining us. Thanks, guys. Coming up, MRN pit announcer Steve Post, Alex Hayden will stop by. The thought of winter coming can be chilling. Knee-deep snow, face-numbing winds, frozen fingers, temperatures below zero. And yet, without a Duralast car battery, it could be even worse. That's why Duralast batteries are tested to perform in harsh conditions. So even if it's 40 below zero, your car can start up like it's 72 and sunny. Visit any of our 5,000 locations nationwide and let's get you what you need. Get in the zone, auto zone. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. <laughs> I take a bit of a risk singing that song, but uh, of course the one place I never take chances is the road, where Progressive Snapshot rewards your safe driving. A good driver plus snapshot equals big discounts. And speaking of math, one plus one equals two, little too late. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California, North Carolina, or from all agents. From Daytona Beach, Florida, this is NASCAR Live. Now, back to your host, Mike Bagley. Welcome back to the Outback Steakhouse on International Speedway Boulevard, putting a wrap on this week's NASCAR Live, joined by two-thirds of the MRN pit contingent, Steve Post and Alex Hayden. Gentlemen, welcome. Fantastic. Hi, how are you? Hi, everybody. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming out to Outback Steakhouse. Yes, today. indeed. How have you been whiling away your time today here in Daytona? Well, today, as in Tuesday, not, not so much as planned. We were supposed to take a ride in the Goodyear blimp today, um, but it's high winds, it's heavy fog, it's, it, was, uh, it was all canceled. So we're a little depressed. Outside of that, we've been at the racetrack kind of hanging around all day. I have, anyway. I've been just chilling and uh, found some good things to eat around here, just kind of relaxing and getting ready for all the festivities to kick off again on Thursday. And they will do that with the Can-Am Duel. I've uh, been asking everybody this, the clash is in the books. You obviously have a different perspective, and you obviously were able to witness something different. <laughs> we're talking about the uh, limiting of five people over the wall to service the car. Posty, I'll start with you. How did that look? We heard how you described it. How different was it this time through than in years past here at Daytona? It, it didn't look, it, you know, it did not look like it was the Keystone Cops. It, it, everyone knew where they were going. But you get halfway through a call and you're like, oh my gosh, this is taking forever. And it's the difference between 11 or 12 seconds and 15 or 16 seconds. But it just seemed like it took forever. I know these guys are working hard. And I think a lot of that probably can go with the new pit gun as well. But it was, I would describe it as awkward. Not awkward in the logistics of it, but awkward just in the amount of time it took to complete what they were doing. I agree. And with that, keep in mind, and what we saw in the first live pit stops of the season with this new rule all those pit stops we saw Sunday in the clash were under the caution flag. So we haven't seen a green flag stop yet where these crews really had to make it count. So I don't necessarily think we saw the stops as quick as we can possibly see them. I think we'll definitely see that as the weekend goes on with the truck series, the Xfinity series, of course, Saturday and the Daytona 500. We saw some, some crew members make these stops. Now they got to do it for live. They've been doing it, believe me, all, all winter long. 
back at the race shops trying different things, but there was no pressure on. Now we've got pressure. So I think this weekend we're really going to see just how important these changes are. Now, the fuel man can only fuel the car when the fuel can comes over the wall. You're allowed five people to work on the car. You're allowed an extra to take care of the driver and to pull the tear off off the windshield. Who was carrying tires? Was it a dual <laughs> role? Was yeah, it and was it the same with all of the race teams? We'll start with the back part of that question. No, it was not the same with all the race teams. Uh, everybody has their own pit crew coaches and, and the way they do things and the choreograph of these pit stops, and they were different. So, uh, Steve and I can break this down is is try to make this as sensible as possible, but. Uh, a jack man would go to the right side of the car and jack the car up. You only have one tire carrier now because you're down a crew member. So we saw some teams have a rear tire carrier on the back side. The jack man and the front tire changer had to carry his own tire out there, by the way. The jack man jacks up the right side of the car. He becomes the tire runner, brings the right side tires back to the wall. Whereas the guy who brought the right rear tire out and indexed it on the on the hub, he now became the jackman on the right side, yeah. dropped the jack, and then he became the jackman on the left side of the race car. That's one scenario we saw. There's a lot, and there's other ways of doing it. I, I think, the, and it's so difficult to describe, and, and I had to watch videotape at, uh, at RCR to just to see what they were talking about. I, I think the thing is the gas man can only do the gas. The rear tire changer is fairly similar to what it's been in the past they'll roll it he'll 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 have a carrier generally in the back and they'll roll the tire to him on the left rear okay his job is the same the front changer will sometimes and most times carry his tire but his job is about the same it's that lone tire carrier roller and the jack man and there uh, we were told there's two combinations but i'm starting to think there might be three or four combinations as to who has their hands on the jack and who has their hands on sliding tires to the tire changers so got, that? got that so got that? there'll be a test afterward <laughs> <laughs> when and this is just the first time out and alex to your point this isn't even under green hopefully we'll be able to get those thursday yeah in the qualifying races, but if not, we'll see them on Sunday for uh, the day. And, and this applies to the truck series and the Xfinity series as well. So I can only imagine the kind of paces that those teams have been put through trying to get their pit stops. Oh, yeah. And, and Daytona is a little bit of a different animal than some of the other racetracks, given the fact that you make your pit stop, even if it's under green, chances are you're not going to lose a lap. But as long as you got a, a couple of folks you can draft with, you should be okay if you make a mistake on pit road. But once we get away from Daytona mm. and, and get to these other racetracks, the smallest mistake that teams were able to basically rebound from and that cost them a tenth of a second will cost them a full second, maybe a second and a half now. And that could be as much as having a tire fall down off to the side and having to run over and pick that tire up as opposed to rolling it. It's, it's going to change things drastically. And, and once we get to some of these other tracks, uh, I think it's going to be compounded tenfold. Gentlemen, the clock has called up with us. Thank you so much for joining us, and can't wait to hear you on the air again uh, on Thursday and the rest of the week. Always a pleasure to hang out with you, Mike. It's always fun to hang out with you, Mike, and Steve Post. I'm just the lucky guy between you. And our friends here at Outback. How about that, man? Heck They're yeah. hooking us all up, and the folks are having good food. Wow, it's fantastic. Forks <laughs> up, blooming onions for everybody. Yeah, right, yes. <laughs> hey, hey, now. That's going to put a wrap on the show this week. We'd like to thank... Joe Moore, Jeff Striegel, Alex Hayden, Steve Post, Jack Aroot, Rusty Wallace, and Mike Helton. For the rest of the MRN crew, I'm Mike Bagley. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next week right here on NASCAR Live. So long from Daytona, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and Daytona Beach, Florida. And was brought to you by Hercules Tires. Right on our strength. Today's broadcast was produced by Rich Colbert. Remember to visit MRN.com to get all of the latest NASCAR news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. where you were going 40 miles an hour. This is a residential area. Sure, but I'm on my lawnmower. Wait, am I getting a ticket? No, I've just never seen anyone top nine miles an hour on one of those bad boys. And mow their entire lawn in 30 seconds? What got into you? Well, I did fuel up at Sunoco this morning. At Sunoco, we know how to fuel peak performance. We've been doing it for American racing for over 50 years. Fuel your best.